on page 4. This is Romans 8, 7, 1 through 17. Romans 8, 7 through 17. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The word of the Lord. Well, that was neat to watch uh, Liz being baptized. And I'm sure it was a uh, proud moment uh, for the Moen family. I think there's some... Huh? Oh, Liz, I was just checking. It was Lily, of course, who was being baptized. Um, but it's a proud moment when we see our, our children uh, walk in the faith. And uh, I was sharing a little bit about how we had a proud moment, Leellen and I, that our middle son, Will, graduated uh, high school uh, a couple weeks ago. And it's very interesting with kids. Uh, you know, there's all these people and all of these you know, robes, and they're far away, and you're in this big place, and but it somehow you're able to recognize your own children, right? It's very interesting. If I, uh, my sons, uh, my two younger sons, Daniel and Will, they both play lacrosse, you know, and they're wearing a helmet. They've got all of this gear, and there are all these people on the field. But somehow, when I walk on, I can I can see them and spot them right away. And what is it? How is it that I'm able to? see them and recognize them. I think if it was a, a huge crowd of people, I would be able to recognize my children. And it's because I, I recognize how they walk, that our kids have a distinctive walk. We've watched them from a young age walk and grow up, and, and they have a distinctive gait. We're able to see it. We're able to recognize it and know that those children are ours. This passage is about walking and about belonging. The scripture in, that I preached on last week tells us that we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And if you'll notice in this passage, the dominant theme is about family. It's about sonship and daughtership. It's about belonging. And what this passage is really communicating is that God will recognize or we will be recognized by others in terms of who we belong to by the way that we walk. It is this walking in the Spirit which demonstrates who we are. 
We walk in the same manner as our Heavenly Father, as sons and daughters of God. And it is the Holy Spirit that God has given to us who is put into our lives that is transforming us, if you will, from the inside out, showing us and training us and tutoring us to walk in a way after our Heavenly Father. Romans 8, though it shares a tremendous amount of the life that we are to live, is primarily not about what we do, but rather about what the Holy Spirit is doing, how He is shaping and conforming us up into the likeness of Christ. And so we're going to look at the Holy Spirit through the eyes of sonship. So that's my first point, that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of sonship. And then we're going to finish off the sermon by looking at the responsibility of sonship. In other words, we have a part to play as we are part now of the family of God. Because how you walk shows whose you are. Let's begin with my first point, the spirit of sonship. Now, I taking this passage here, this, this comment on a spirit of sonship from the scriptures. For it says in verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of flavory, uh, flavory, of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, I want you to understand what Paul is communicating here, because we may ask the question, or some people say that the Bible is very um, misogynistic. But I want to suggest that if you understand the context, he's being radically egalitarian. See, back then, the only one who was the inheritor of the estate was the son. And so God is using, uh, through Paul, a metaphor of sonship to demonstrate that men and women receive the adoption as sons of God, as inheritors of the estate. There are no second-class Christians. If I was preaching in Ephesians 5, I'd be talking about all of us as the bride of Christ. Okay, that's a metaphor. It's a demonstration. It's an illustration. But Paul is trying to communicate to each one of us, to all, regardless of your social status, regardless of your gender, you receive all of the full rights of being a child of God. And how do you do that? Through receiving the Holy Spirit. Paul says in verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And he's saying almost tongue-in-cheek to the Christian, yes, indeed, if you are a Christian, of course the Spirit of God dwells in you. And because the Spirit of God dwells in us, the fundamental bent of our lives has changed. Verse 5, put it this way, for those who live according to the flesh, meaning according to the world, according to a realm in which God is not the center, in which I am the center or the world is the center. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. But you, Christian, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. I talked about this last week, but this thinking about the word mind, we hear mind and we use our modern concept of our thoughts. 
But in the Hebraic understanding of mind, Paul is talking about much more than that. He's talking about our heart. He's talking about our soul, our spirit, our, our fundamental affections. That which we desire and hunger for most. That which completes us. In other words, for those who live according to the Spirit, set their hope or their affection on the things of the Spirit. But those who live according to their, the flesh set their affection on the things of the Spirit, of the flesh. Or, or Spirit, you, you get what I'm talking about, I think. <laughs> the point, though, is even though we as Christians can devolve sometimes to living by the flesh and putting our affections on the things of this world, if you are in Christ and a Christian, that my fundamental heart, my fundamental desire is God, is to know Him and to be known by Him, is to be loved by Him and to love Him. See, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But we have the Spirit of Christ. Now what is this Spirit of Christ, Spirit of God? I shared this last week, but I'm just sort of re-going over some stuff because some people weren't here. Notice the words, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, in other words, when the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are so united with one another that when one comes, they all come. So is it right for me to talk to the Holy Spirit or to think of the Holy Spirit and to talk to him in one sentence and the next sentence say Jesus, absolutely. Because the Holy Spirit's purpose is to reveal to us the Son of God and the Father of God. The Holy Spirit is very bashful. Although Christ is in heaven, he's been bodily resurrected. He told us that he would not leave us as orphans, that he would come in and dwell with us. And so we can speak and we can be with Jesus and be with the Father. Because ultimately, what is the purpose of the Bible? What is the purpose of redemption? What, what does this whole thing, Christianity, really boil down to? It boils down to that God wants to take enemies and make them his children. Look at how many times a relational aspect is touched on just in this passage. Paul, in verse 12, when speaking to other Christians, calls them brothers. In other words, members of the family of God. In verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In verse 15, by receiving the Spirit of adoption, we can call out to God as Abba, Father. Verse 16, we are children of God. Verse 17, we are heirs. And so on, it keeps on going through chapter 8. In verse 29, it says this, For those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, if you wonder through the difficulty and trials of life, through when you can't understand what God is doing in your life, his goal, his aim is quite simple. It's to shape us and make us into the image of Christ as a son and daughter. 
And the means by which he is choosing to do so in this life is by implanting his Holy Spirit in our hearts. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You have not received the spirit of adoption as sons. Oh, excuse me, you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now when Jesus said this, just about everybody in the crowd, you would have heard a, a collective gasp. Indeed, any religious literature, if you read Islam or you go to read Hinduism or you read any of that, you would never hear a term like this. That Jesus spoke of his relationship and, and, and in the epistle here that we also are to speak of God as Abba, Father. Now, contrary to popular belief, Abba does not simply mean Daddy. Some people, it's the, the word that a child would use to speak um, that word doesn't exist. But what it does mean is speaking of God in the familiar. I don't call my dad daddy. I'm a grown man, but I do call him dad. I call him in, in an informal relationship because I'm part of the family. No one walks into my family and starts calling my father dad because they're not part of the family. And indeed, the address, there's something in the Greek, it's called the vocative. It's a, it's a second person. It's a, not a collective third person. It's a relationship, just like I would walk in into my house and call my dad, dad. My father is, has passed along, but uh, you get the illustration. See, what God is saying is that you now are adopted and you've been adopted into a new family where you have all the rights and privileges to walk up to the God of the universe who made all things, who with his very words spoke in the universe came into the being, and you can call him dad. You ever pray to dad as dad? You can. We've been adopted. In fact, the Spirit, notice in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit is teaching us. And so one of the Spirit's jobs is to come along and say, He is your dad. You can speak to Him that way. He still is your dad. He's bearing witness. He's coming alongside. He's teaching us. See, there's something about adoption. When you go from being a part of no family to being a part of a family, We've adopted a child ourselves. It's quite a process. It's almost alien if you've never been adopted because from the very beginning, you've always had a mother and father. Those were probably the first words that you used. But a child who is an orphan has no concept of what a father or a mother is. They actually have to be taught what a father and a mother is. And so this spirit of adoption comes and shows us. See, we've received a new spirit, and we have a new identity. But because we are adopted children, we are, we're part of an old family that still resides in us in a way, right? Old genes, old DNA that's still there. And though I have a new identity, a new relationship, there is a tendency in me to sometimes want to go back to that old family that I was a part of. 
fact, the longer, in terms of if you adopt someone, the older they are, the longer the process it takes for them to learn what it means to be a part of a new family. See, that's really what Paul is talking about in Romans 7. If you were here a couple of weeks ago where Paul was saying, I don't understand why I do what I don't want to do. Because in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I find when I want to do good, there's evil right there with me. And the good that sometimes I don't want to do, excuse me, that I do do, I don't do. He's saying it's those old genes that are pulling me back. And it's the Holy Spirit that we need to continue to pull us and shape us and remind us the spirit of sonship. And so what the Spirit is doing is teaching us to walk like our elder brother Jesus. To walk like our Father God. Much in the same way as I can recognize my child by the way he walks. One ought to be able to recognize a Christian because they more and more as they go through life walk like their Savior, walk like their Father. So why am I sharing all of this with you? It's because I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit has come into your life to plant a flag in your heart to let you know that you are a son and a daughter of God. The Spirit wants to lead me. He wants to communicate that God is now the head of my family. That I'm not alone. That He watches over me. I no longer have to live as an orphan, like nobody cares about me. Nobody's interested in my welfare. But rather, God Himself cares about me. He really does know the plans that He has for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. He's given us the Holy Spirit so that we would never be alone. Because we are in Christ. Christ is in us. Did not Jesus himself say, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will remind you of all the things that I have said. One of the things that's interesting when you adopt and you receive a child into your family, if they've been in an orphanage for a while, is they never ask for more. Why? Because there's a very limited amount of resources wherever they were in the orphanage. And so what you get is what you get. But it's a capital crime to ask for more. You're taught to live like there is no more. And if you need more, tough. You must rely on your own resources, your own skills to get whatever it is that you want. But the Holy Spirit who's brought us into the family of God is quite different. He says, I want you to ask for all. I want you to come to me like a child. If you then, though you're evil, Jesus says, know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? So how do you view the Holy Spirit? 
Is it a power you tap into to make you stronger? Some sort of impersonal force that the skilled Christian has learned to manipulate to his benefit? Or is he a spirit of sonship? So recognize, I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I have all the rights and privileges. My heavenly dad is watching out for me. Recognize who you are and rely on your heavenly father. Each one of us has a deep need to belong. And we will give ourselves to something. And often we give ourselves to things that do not care about us and only hurt us and leave us empty. Rely on your heavenly family, your Holy Spirit who binds you to your heavenly Father. And finally, recognize and rely and reform. Let the Spirit have its way with your heart. We are meant to be led by the Spirit, right? That means following, allowing Him to reshape our lives, to reshape our hopes, to reshape the way we live. Left to ourselves, we cannot change one iota of our life. We'll simply devolve back to our old genes. But the Spirit, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, has all the power necessary to be to us, to do to us, and to do for us that which our Heavenly Father wishes. We have the blessings of being sons and daughters of God. Live in them. Well, this brings me to my second point, the responsibility of sonship. Excuse me for a second, I'm famished. I can keep going, at least for 18 minutes. Verse 12 puts it this way. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, not to this way of living apart from God, to live according to the flesh. In other words, what is this debt that we have to? It's, it's not to pain for our sin, right? We're in the family of God. The debt we have is to obey the family rules and to live as part of the family. We're not automatons. God doesn't simply wave a wand and we become these unfeeling unthinking robots who simply do exactly what he wants. That's not really love, is it? The responsibility of sonship is to return love. We don't obey and obey the family rules in order to enter the family, but rather we obey them because we're part of the family. We have a family name that we live up to. We all know this, don't we? If you've been part of a family, I recognize that I'm greater than simply myself, that my actions reflect upon the rest of my family. It's a great thing about belonging, isn't it? And so what are the distinctive traits and characteristics of our family? It's holiness, isn't it? We're to look at God, our Father. What is the characteristic of Him? It's holiness. It's purity. It's love and graciousness. These are the hallmarks of God, our Father, of Christ, our elder brother. And so we are debtors not to live according 
to the old ways of the world, but to live according to the Spirit. That we might show in our walk who we belong to. And so what does it mean? What are our responsibilities? Number one, to be led by the Spirit. See, to be part of a family means that someone else is in charge. I have a heavenly Father. I have a Lord who's willing to lay down his life for me. Can you get better than that? But he's in charge. That's why it uses the word, all of you who are led by the Spirit. You know, it's very hard for someone to lead if you won't follow. Because the leader steps out in front, right, and says, follow me. And we can choose to follow or to not follow. Our inner bent wants to follow. The life of a Christian is trust and dependence and obedience. We call it discipleship. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him take, let him take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. What it means to lose our life is to say, I'm no longer in charge of my life. God, you are. And I'll follow your family rules. I'll die, if you will, to myself, and I'll live to you. And any good father has good rules for the blessing and benefit of his children. And God's laws, God's rules that he lays down to us in the scriptures are for our blessing and benefit. And when we don't follow them, all too often we experience the pain of not living in accordance with our family. God will draw us back. A good father doesn't care so much about our reputation as much as our heart. Not that he doesn't care about our reputation, but he has a goal to make you and I mature sons and daughters of God. And so our first responsibility is to say, I'm not in charge. Our second responsibility is to give him everything. Meaning to submit all aspects of our life to him. Verse 12 says, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death some of the deeds of the body, you will live. In other words, there's some things that I can give to God, but other things, those are my things. God, I want you to do a work in this area, in this area, but I'm going to take it in this area, in this area, and you have no place there. But you see, when the Spirit comes into our hearts and in our lives, He invades all of our lives. He says to every aspect of how we live and how we think, that I want to be Lord of that area. And we can try to isolate him out. We can try to separate him out in this particular area, but he's there. It's actually an illustration Paul gives in uh, 1 Corinthians, where he shares, don't you realize that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit and that God lives in you? And he says, shall I take this temple and unite it to a prostitute? A very striking example. What he's saying is you cannot say 
to God who lives in your heart through the Holy Spirit, I'm going to go in there and I want you to wait out here for a little while and I'll be back. No, wherever we go, He goes. Whatever we watch, He watches. However we live, He lives. And He has the power to step into every single area of our life and bring life where there is death. But He is not content and will not allow you, if you are a Christian, to compartmentalize off parts of your life. It's everything. Did not Jesus in His Sermon on the Mount, that sermon which we're all supposed to love, say, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to have one hand and enter the kingdom of God than to have two. Now, obviously, the problem is not your hand. He's speaking in hyperbole. But what he's saying is you have to give me everything. The third responsibility, or if you want to call that, it's a very interesting point here. Paul assumes in this passage that we want to. That we want to give our lives to Him. That we want to be led by the Spirit. Indeed, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Is there a desire in you to be led by God on His path? That is one of the best pictures or proofs to you that yes, indeed, I am a child of God. Is there remorse when I stray off the path, when I put the Holy Spirit over there and, and follow after the flesh? Is there remorse and sadness? It's a demonstration that God is moving in your heart. See, we have not the Spirit. I love this verse. For you have not been given, uh, this is verse uh, 15, the Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption. What does he mean to fall back into fear? What it means is before you had the spirit of God, the spirit that you had made you fearful. Right? You haven't received the spirit that sends you back to where you were before. So what is it that's motivating your life to follow Jesus? Is it fear? Then that's not the Holy Spirit. Is it, I better do this and this and this, or he's going to cast me off, he's going to be upset, he's going to condemn me. That's not the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption is us seeing the love of Jesus Christ on the cross. Going to the cross and seeing how much that he loved us, that he gave his life. And saying, oh Lord, I, I want to follow you. I want that love. I want to follow after you. Because surely no one has ever loved me or will ever love me or loves me more than this. No, we don't have a spirit of slavery to fear. We have a spirit of sonship. And the Spirit seeks to remind us again and again 
of the love of God in Jesus Christ. By the way, what has your sin ever done for you? I mean, really, when you think about it. Has it ever really built you up? Is your sin going to get up on a cross and die for you? That's the old way. And God has delivered us into a new way with a loving Savior. Another point that uh, is a little harder to see, but this, that we are in this together. In verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That you is actually a plural. It's not an individual. He's speaking to all of us. See, the Holy Spirit who is in me is the Holy Spirit who is in Anne, is the Holy Spirit who is in Roger. He's a person. It's not an it. But that spirit that is in Roger and is in Anne is put in Roger and Anne to help me walk. It's a very dangerous thing when you say to yourself, the Holy Spirit speaks to me, but he doesn't speak to anybody else. God has made us into the family of God, and the family of God is bigger than just God. It's all of the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And so when that old DNA and that old flesh beguiles us and says, come back, you know, there's power in secret, isn't there? But when I reach out to my brother and sister and say, help, and they come alongside me and pray for me and hold me accountable and encourage me, the power of the Holy Spirit surges through me and strengthens me. It is true that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We have a responsibility not to live an isolated, private Christian life, secret Christian life. We are entitled to a private life as Christians, but not a secret one. We bind together because that's what God is doing. A spirit of family. Do you recognize the responsibility of sonship? And do you hunger to be a son and daughter of God? There's a part for us to play. And it's more than simply coming to church on Sunday, listening to a sermon, maybe writing a check, and then going about my own business. So live according to the Spirit. A new master, my Heavenly Father. Giving everything to Him. Particularly that which is messed up in you. There's nothing that surprises Him. He knows it anyways. Desiring more and more, as Paul says, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal for which God has given me in Christ Jesus. We do have a debt, and it's a wonderful debt, to live as sons and daughters of God. And when we begin to walk that path, the Spirit is right there with us, tutoring us, shaping us, picking us up when we fall, 
cheering for us when we want to stop. And I hope we will be there for each other too on this journey and race of faith. So take a look at your life. For how I walk shows whose I am. We will not be perfect until the end. Those genes of the flesh are still within me. But God is saying, walk in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. I want to make you more and more into who you are supposed to be. And as you walk in this life, you may discover one day as you look in a mirror that looking back at you is someone who vaguely resembles the person of Jesus Christ. For we're confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would see the reality through your Holy Spirit that we're sons and daughters of God. What a great privilege. And what an awesome responsibility to be called by your family name. Lord, let us follow you willingly to the cross as we surrender all of ourselves. And you bring life in every aspect of our lives. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.